Foundation Physiotherapy and Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, we catch up with inspirational former Blue Jay LaTroy Hawkins. And there are millions and millions of people of all races in the United States that feel like they don't have a voice and around the, around the world. You just don't have to be black. There are plenty of people in this world that don't have a voice. And when you have a platform, when you have a platform, you should use it. If you're not helping others or making an impact on, you know, on other people's lives, you're wasting your time on earth. And here's a guy who certainly doesn't waste his time on earth. He's got a platform and he does use it to bring us good stuff every week. It's Barry Davis. And welcome once again, folks, to another episode of Out of the Park. There is Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. And uh, another deep one we have again this week, Tom Forth, as we're joined by, as you heard off the top, former Toronto Blue Jay, LaTroy Hawkins, who, man, if you can't learn anything from listening to this guy talk, then you can't learn anything. Exactly. Uh, this conversation is just another in a series that we've had here on Out of the Park where it's left me blown away by just the absolute perspective and and honesty by these players week after week. It's amazing. It's an amazing conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it this week. And once again, uh, a few lucky OTP insiders got to take part in it and sit in, which is another mm-hmm. great thing about uh, our OTP Insiders Club is that uh, you can join for as little as three bucks a month and sit in. Uh, we just yep. did one this week uh, with Josh Tolley, which you'll hear next week. We've got Frank Catalanato coming up, and I've touched base with uh, Matt Shoemaker, and we're going to do something with him. Now another former Toronto Blue Jays. So we've got a lot coming up uh, over the next several weeks and a big show coming up here today. Uh, will we have an Ask Barry Davis question, Tom Forth? Uh, yep, we got a couple lined up. Good, and I actually have one that I found off of Facebook, which is not really a direct question to me with the Asbury Davis hashtag, but it's directed at me, so I'm going to respond to it. Does that work for you? <laughs> Works for me. All right. We will also hear from Raj Sapaya, who tells us about uh, an injury that Joe Thornton had, and thank goodness he doesn't have it anymore because he's, uh, he's actually playing like Joe Thornton with the Maple Leafs these days. Pretty exciting times in Leafland right now. Absolutely. So we'll have that. We'll have Ask Barry Davis. No poll this week because you and I both forgot to put up a poll. Uh, But (laughs) up next, pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. The Blue Jays maybe did not do everything fans wanted them to do. How are they looking going into the 2021 season? We'll discuss next. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. This is Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by Ballistic Sports, BallisticSports.com. Thomas Forth is uh, going to be the place you're going to want to head in the very near future as they are in the midst of producing and developing three incredible board games, including one for baseball. How would one actually play this game, Tom? Well, you know what? It's like these games were actually designed for COVID times. They are an interactive board game that you play alongside with either a live or even a recorded or virtual sporting event. So it's like Monopoly meets baseball or Monopoly meets football. Uh, that's that's kind of the picture in my head and, and from the promotional stuff that we have seen about it. It looks like an awful lot of fun and we can all use a little bit of distraction and a little bit of help passing the time right now. So I can't wait to get my hands on one of these things. Well, speaking of can't wait, uh, Blue Jays will be playing 
spring training games rather soon. And the one mm-hmm. interesting thing about those spring training games, Thomas, is that they will be played in the same ballpark that the Jays will open the season in. Uh, they'll be at TD Ballpark in Dunedin, Florida, uh, due mm-hmm. to the COVID restrictions. And the fact that the weather in Buffalo is going to be really crappy, as it usually is in April, uh, they made the decision to start the season in Dunedin. And on top of that, Thomas, they will not be playing just for a bunch of cardboard cutouts. They're going to allow, I believe, around 1,500 fans into each game. Oh, wow. Am I breaking well, I mean, these, this news to you? You weren't aware? I did not know. I did not know that, that there were going to be live fans in the stands. That's, yes. that's, in, that's interesting given the the difference in how Florida's handling this pandemic. Yes, absolutely. And we've had a number of guests on from the last few weeks that were, uh, you know, from either Florida or some of the southern states where everything is open. So this is nothing new to them. So, but uh, if, if it can do it safe, you know, God bless them, right? It is outdoors, yep. which is nice. Um, so that's good. One interesting thing, and uh, I still have a few friends that work in the uh, TV industry, and I know that nobody uh, from Rogers is going to Florida for spring training. So that is still kind of like not happening. I don't know if anybody wow. media-wise is heading to Florida. Uh, maybe this is part of the part of the game that's changing, right? Maybe maybe those roving sports reporters and correspondents are a thing of the past, Barry. You know, it that's... could. You know, I hate to say that for those that are doing that for a living but you know mm-hmm. we had this we had, i had this discussion with one of my camera guys many years ago about the fact that there was something going on and we were all in the states actually you know what it was right around this time uh yeah. back maybe five six years ago we're in spring training and news broke that tiger woods was going to address the media about uh, his you know situation you oh know, yeah, yep, right. Yep. So I was in Dunedin, and we drove up to Jacksonville, Florida, to cover this. And there was talk of, well, you know, why don't we just do like because TSN needs to go up, we need to go up. So I tell you what, why don't we go up to Jacksonville and we'll give you the footage we shoot. You guys stay here in Dunedin, give us the footage that you shoot, and we can just share, right? And mm-hmm. I don't think that came to pass because the camera guys said, you know what? That's a real bad precedent to set because all of a sudden they'll say, well, then why we just cut the travel in half? We'll just share, right? Things like that. So, But this is unfortunately the way the industry is starting to move where it's all about money. It's all about saving money. It's all about padding the pockets. And um, it's sad that we have seen so many people go, very talented people. I mean, honest to God, we could create... Maybe, Tom, make some calls. Let's turn NSR Media into the new uh, radio station, and we'll just hire all the people that got fired. We won't pay them until we get sponsors. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, you know, it's not like people have never worked in this business and not got paid before. Uh, but uh, yeah. this, this would be, uh, again, it just shows me how sad it is. And I think, I know this conversation was starting about the Blue Jays, and now I'm kind of getting yeah. into the whole sports media situation. But talk radio on AM is dying really fast, unfortunately. And I grew up with it. But these days with podcasts, such as this one, and the ability to listen to what you want, when you want, in the quality of sound that is not going to sound like crappy AM radio, it's really tough. 
for these stations to stay on board. Plus, you have to endure commercials and the whole bit. The one thing I will say about local radio is weather and traffic. Those things are absolutely huge. And that's why you'll never see a station. You know, They may cut this content and that content. You'll never see them cut their traffic. Yeah, but you know what? I have GMAPs on my phone now, so I don't need traffic reports anymore. In- I know, I know. But you know what? But we we can keep looking for efficiencies. And it's funny because we talk to we talk to pitchers like Pat Hankin about the changes that the game's undergone and how when you know all you're looking at is efficiencies and all you're looking at is numbers, is the final product diminished because of it when you remove all personality, all of the intangibles? And if that's what we're doing with our media, I mean, our media was based on personality for how long right it's yep. that anchor the buck martinez's the jerry howworth's there's only and one of each by the way yeah yeah there's, yeah, o- there's but, only one but no yeah i'm, I'm just different... I'm, I'm just doing my grammar police yes you're right, right? but yeah it's like yeah, getting the pucks yeah, in right. deep you know the you tom fourths of the world you know i i, I think <laughs> that we need more tom fourths there's only one tom fourth and you're tom fourth uh, i think that's quite enough for everybody actually well it's enough for but, me but but you know what? Are we losing something? Are we losing that person? Of course we are. And, of course and we are. are we losing those things that, that bring us together and keep us together? Yes. And that's, that's what's frightening right now. Listen, you would turn on the news back in the day and you would see an anchor and you would you know feel very comfortable with her or him. They would be someone that you've seen in your TV, you know, bring into your home every night. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those voices and and faces that we've gotten to know are no longer there and not to say that the ones that have replaced them are not going to be good one day but they don't have they don't bring the same experience and maybe i'm just talking like an old person who's bitter of the fact that you know once you get to a certain age you become replaceable but man oh man to me i think that when i started in this business you don't just go from college to jumping on the air in a major market station you either work your way through that system, which is what I was fortunate enough to do, starting uh, at Telemedia Radio, which became uh, you know the Fan and Rogers. Uh, I started at the very bottom there, and I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked my way up after years to finally get on the air. I had the opportunity to audition when the the score was called Headline Sports. They were starting out, yep, and. I was considering sending a demo tape, and I said, no, I I still need more experience. I'm not ready yet. I don't want to blow my one and only opportunity. If this were today, I probably would have been on the air way before I was ready to go on the air. But this is what's happening now because it's cheaper, right? Yep. And it's cheaper. (laughs) Well, if you're a corporation and you're looking for efficiencies, personality costs money, right? Yes, it does. And... If you can get a smiley face, and I mean, if you're mainstream media in Canada is a joke, right? Like every global's running the same stories as City, which is running the same stories as CTV, and and so to you know, does the personality even matter anymore if they're all saying the same thing? And that's that's frightening, and it's it's you know it's frightening to see it in media, and it's sad to see it in sports. So it is, uh, yeah. as of day this day of recording. Uh, I have no idea what's going to, going to transpire over at the fan where they have uh, let go of their program director, Dave Cadeau. Uh, I don't know who's going to take that role. I don't know what they're going to do with the shows that exist. But, you know, I feel for everyone that works there right now because they're probably waking up every morning going, is this the day? Is this the day? Yep. And listen, I understand that when it comes to entertainment or media or whatever, 
you as listeners, you have your favorites that you really like, and you have those that you don't like. But I'm begging you all, and hopefully none of you that are listening to this are, are part of this group, but I hate when somebody says, well, good, I'm glad they got rid of that that person, or yep. it should have been this person. Listen, we're in such a terrible time right now with COVID. This is not just a game for these on-air personalities. This is their career. This is their job. Yep. This is their mortgage payments. Never, yep. ever, as, whether you're a fan or not, never wish that somebody loses their job. Like, to me, that's just, it's wrong. Yep, um, but that's that's the world right now. And, and the scary thing isn't that there are all those people out there screaming and yelling. It's that it's it's those angry people and those vindictive people that seem to catch media headlines and and you know they're the voices that are standing out on Twitter and and you know man I hope we can figure out a way to kind of shut them out as a society because if we don't we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. All right, I did promise we would talk a little bit about the Blue Jays, so uh, let's do that right <laughs> now. Uh, spring training has opened. Uh, at this point, they have not added what many uh, would think they need to add, which is the starting rotation. And uh, mm -hmm. Tuan Walker was somebody that I think many were hoping would re-sign with the Blue Jays, but he is signed with the New York Mets. As of time of recording, uh, you know you've got Nate Pearson, you've got Ryu in, in your starting rotation. Um but then after that, there are a number of people that can be in that rotation. And, you know, is it going to be Robbie Ray? Is it going to be uh, Matt, Tanner Rourke? Uh, you've got the younger guys like Anthony Kaye, Julian Merriweather, TJ Zoik. Uh, there, mm -hmm. there are many, many possibilities out there for the Toronto Blue Jays in the starting rotation. But the question is, do they need to add another experienced arm? And if they do, it, it's very clear and I think people are acting surprised, but you know, we talked about this before. Yep. This was like we knew that they weren't going to be spending any more big bucks in free agency. Hand it to Mr. Atkins, right? He told everybody. Yes. And people and wanted he, transparency. He's being transparent. Yeah. yeah and, and his hair looks terrific, by the way. Oh, just wonderful. Isn't it really, great? really wonderful. Yeah. You know what? His his look for 2021 is on point. Yeah. But you know, he, he was honest and go yeah. figure. And, and what we're hearing back from Paxton and, and Walker as well is that the, the Jays weren't really jumping in on either of them. And so maybe they are cooking up a trade, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe this is going to be one of those weird years where, you know, as you start spring training and the pitchers are only going like one or two innings at the beginning, and then they gradually build up. Maybe that won't happen with the Jays this year. Maybe it'll be, Pitching by committee, everybody's, you know, opener, one inning opener, two inning openers. Well, that's it. I mean, starting pitchers are not what starting pitchers once were, right? We're already mm -hmm. hearing about Aaron Loop agreeing to be an opener this yep. year. Yep. So, I mean, everybody's got something different going on. This may be good for Joe Biagini with the Cubs. I mean, he's a type of guy who likes preparing like a starter would, but I don't yeah. think Joe Biagini has the, uh, endurance maybe to be a five six seven inning guy but wouldn't he make a great opener have him come in and pitch the first two innings two, well, he, two he three times a week absolutely like he filled such a unique role in toronto because he was that guy in the bullpen that they could stretch out when they needed him right mm -hmm. and uh big time big time uh, i think he's someone that could benefit from sort of a shift in mentality absolutely all right still to come 
Asbury Davis and our very, very deep chat with Latroy Hawkins. But first of all, uh, we talk about a Toronto Maple Leaf with Raj Sapaya. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. This is Out of the Park. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. We are back with our pal Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. And uh, we now have four official locations, Raj, because you have your front street, you have the core, you have the cork, and you have the Zoom. The Zoom. The, the Zoom, Zoom is location, now number four. The virtual four. location. You can take me anywhere. So if somebody uh, would like some physiotherapy uh, from Foundation and they are uh, not comfortable leaving the house, how can they go about setting up a Zoom with one of you guys? Uh, just go online, foundationphysio.com. Everything's in there. You can click virtual physio. And one of our physiotherapists will be happy to jump on a phone call with you just to help you understand what the problem is, what's happening, and teach ways to self, self-manage self it. So maybe some tools you can use at home to release it, as well as some exercise to help stretch whatever issues and strengthen whatever issues. Raj, uh, back on January the 20th, Joe Thornton suffered a fractured rib uh, going up yeah. against the Edmonton Oilers. And I'm just curious... What has to happen for a rib to be fractured? Because you would think that they are, you know, they're a p- pretty key part of your skeleton, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, the, the the ribs are a different kind of bone. Like they're not as they're they're not as I'm going to say they're not as structurally strong as other bones. Because imagine what the rib, the job of the rib cage is to expand and close, right? Because the rib cage expands when we breathe in and it closes it, so it's a bit more cartilaginous. Than it is it's true a big bone. Wor- that's a big word. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning it's it's kind of like cartilage, um, kind of like bone. It's just a different structure, right? It's hard enough, but it's not not like the cartilage you have in your nose. So you know, it is it is it is a different structure that's meant to expand and contract. Um, so it is you know it, it is susceptible to fracture, especially in a contact sport like hockey. Uh, so there must have been a high enough impact to to have broken one of his one of his ribs. What is the healing path like for somebody in Joe Thornton's stage of career, as opposed to somebody in, say, Austin Matthews's? Uh, yeah, like I don't, I don't know Joe Thornton's history enough. I don't know if this is his first fractured rib. Uh, I don't know if you guys know that, but uh, if he's had a lot of impact to, to his, his chest area, his thoracic area, uh, he's older. He is mm-hmm. going to have a longer recovery for sure. Right. Someone like Austin Matthews is probably going to heal younger. I think that happens with anybody in any walk of life, whether they're an athlete or not. The younger you are, you typically heal better. Um, also, like there's just more load on your body the older you are. Right. Uh, a 40 year old hockey player skeleton is going to look like it's going to probably on the X-ray look like he's 50 just because he's had so much rotation, so much twisting in there. Right. So it's it, it can be it, it can take longer to heal for sure. And Raj, when somebody breaks a leg or breaks an arm, it, it's put in a cast and it's, you know, held in place that way. When you fracture something on the inside like that, like a rib, you can't put a, a cast on it. I mean, sure, you could wear a vest, but you're not really protecting that that broken bone like you would anything else. So how do you do that? Well, yeah. So so the way it, that, that's a great question. So like I mentioned, the ribs are a different type of structure. They're not like, uh, you know, they're not the same bone you would find in your femur or in, or in your, you know, humerus. It's, it's a different type of, it's a different type of tissue. Um, it typically will organically heal just with time and rest uh, and obviously not enough load and pressure. So you don't want to be, you know, again, something like hockey where they're breathing and exerting a lot. You don't want that constant expansion and closing 
with with a rib fracture. So he's probably going to be you know he's off the hockey. He's probably doing some more deep breathing through his stomach, not breathing much to his chest, and obviously avoiding as much impact as he can to the to the area until the until the fracture heals over time. Well, as they say, uh, when you hit your funny bone, there's nothing to laugh about, and when you break a rib, it ain't humorous at all. Raj Sapaya, <laughs> thank you, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, guys.
Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. And first of all, a little We Ain't Petty for you. That is, you don't know how it feels. And uh, again, this was a song that uh, we would be playing live for many people uh, if we were able to play live, but we can't. So we have gone into the studio, our own home studio, individual studios, and recorded a bunch of songs. Of course, you and I have been recording a bunch of Beatles songs, and hopefully uh, we'll get some more Cars songs recorded too, because I really enjoy doing that. I miss playing the cars. I do too. Heck, I miss Driven. I miss I miss Emilio. I miss Tony. I know. You know, it, oh. it, it, it's it, it's just just another one of those you know results of what we're we're going through right now. Yep, exactly. Uh, all right, Asbury Davis is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, and I, I say our brand new sponsor because I've decided they're going to be our sponsor. Rexdale Hyundai, two forty eight Rexdale Boulevard in Etobicoke, and I work there. I Thomas, I look at it this way. I do not sell cars. I help you buy a car. You like that? There we go. Absolutely. And if you are in the market for a brand new vehicle or a previously owned vehicle, come on down. Uh, We are by appointment only. So you can DM me. That's how easy it is. I've got my DMs open on Twitter. You can message me on Facebook. Say, I'd like to come down and buy. I'd like to see one of you beautiful new 2021 Elantras or Tucson or Santa Fe or whatever the case and uh, we we'll have you in. We'll take you for a test drive. We'll talk some sports. And if you come in and you buy a car from me, I'll also give you a Toronto Raptors championship basketball that also has uh, Nabach's uh, uh, face on it. Oh, nice. He's a, he's a handsome man. He's a very handsome man. So, <laughs> um, and I, I'm going to tell you if, uh, from an honest speaking perspective, okay? Uh, before I worked at Hyundai, I've driven Hyundais before. Uh, I've driven Tucson's. My wife's had Elantra's. Uh, but when I started doing exclusive Blue Jays stuff and knowing that Honda was a sponsor of the Blue Jays, I was, you know, driving those. Well, since I've been back at, you know, not back, but since I've started working at Hyundai, I've had the opportunity to really get to know these vehicles again. And I'll tell you what, Hyundai is right there. Honestly, you cannot tell me for a second that a Honda Civic's a better quality vehicle than a Hyundai Elantra. Like, they are, that's how far Hyundai has come. They have a vehicle now... Um, it comes in even either a, a seven or eight seater. It's called the Palisade. This thing is like a Range Rover, but half the price, right? So and not only do they have the best cars, yes, but Barry, they've got the best salesman. Oh, you're a sweetheart. You're sweet. And listen, <laughs> I I don't play the sales game, right? Uh, I no. like to be considered genuine, and I'm genuine when I do the show, and I'm genuine when when you come into 
to Rexdale Hyundai. So um, my job is to help you find the perfect car for you and find one that fits your budget. And, you know, I'm always happy to talk. So just, uh, you know, give me a shout on Twitter, Facebook, or call. You can also call Rexdale Hyundai and say yep. you would like to, you know, come in and see me. And they'll gladly yep. make an appointment. The number is 416-748-2555. And, um, yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. And you know what? Speaking about this segment, you could also, I think, theoretically use the hashtag Ask Barry Davis. Yes. And ask Barry Davis for a new high on day. Whoa. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. All right, Sir Thomas. Um, mm -hmm. So, one question you have, uh, yep. and then one question I just happened to stumble across on Facebook this morning, and I'd like to explain the answer to that one. So, go ahead and ask me the first question. All right, so this one is from an insider who wished to remain anonymous. And I like the question, Barry, they'd like a prediction. They want to know where you have the Jays finishing this year. Mm, these are tough, right? And I totally understand that, you know, predictions are a big part of sports, right? Mm -hmm. I think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be in contention all year. Um, they're not going to win the division, in my opinion. I think they're going to come very close. I think they're going to be in a battle for the, the division. I think they'll probably finish second in the American League East, but they will be going to the postseason. It's expanded again, right? And yep. I also think that if the Blue Jays are in a pennant race, they will make moves closer to the deadline. Remember, doing the offseason spending is one thing, but you need to leave a little bit in the coffer in case you need to do it again uh, at the deadline. Bingo. Bingo. I'm I'm right with you. Uh, I think it'll be Yankees, Blue Jays, one, two in the East. I mean, everybody has the Yankees walking away with it. The, the predictions that I've seen so far. Um, but I hope the Jays can hang in there a little bit. And and honestly, I really think it's kind of neat seeing how the pitching's lining up because there are those question marks. But, you know, let's look at all the teams out there over the last couple of years and how many of them have had a starting five that have lasted the year, right? It, that that hasn't been what's been making a successful team, really. It's It's been the teams that have those deep pens and that have those two-inning, three-inning eaters, right? So I think it'll be an unconventional year for sure. And I think, the, I think just like you, the Jays are going to wind up in the postseason probably just behind the Yankees in the East. Nice. Okay. Now, um, you may not even have this question. So I'll, I'll basically inform our yeah, listeners. Ask yourself. Okay, yep. so uh, <laughs> all through uh, social media, Facebook and Twitter, I posted a picture of Josh Tolley and said, you know, hey, who wants to hang out with Tolley? Uh, we just recorded a Zoom chat with him uh, on the weekend, and we, had, uh, we invited five of our lucky insiders to join in on that conversation, which was really, really cool. Um, and I had one comment on one of the Facebook pages asking me why, and I'm going to read this, exactly how it's written. Why an XJs? Why not Springer or Simeon? Okay. Uh, this gentleman's name is Nevin. So, Nevin, um, here's the situation. Um, yeah, I don't work for the Toronto Blue Jays, nor do I work for one of the major market uh, TV or radio stations affiliated with the Blue Jays. So, for me to get uh, Wayne Simeon or to get uh, a Springer on the show... Uh, it's not as easy as me just picking up the phone and saying, hey, how would you like to come on the show? Okay? Um, with the ex-Blue Jays, the Blue Jays that were there when I was working with the team, I have a, a working relationship with many of them. And 
I've developed a really good bond with uh, quite a few of the ex-players who come on the show on a regular basis. So that's why I have the ex-players on. Also, we've had current players on the show uh, over we've the had, last year. Yep. Right? Jordan Romano was Jordan the Romano. last current Jay that Exactly. We've, had. Yep. Uh, we've had Rowdy Telez on the show. We've had Danny Jansen on the show. Uh, wasn't Anthony Alford technically a Blue Jay? He was. When we talked yeah. to him. Yep, he was. Yep. Um, we've had Anthony Kay on the show. We've had a number. But and here's the interesting thing. The ratings we get for current players on the show are not as good as the ones we have for the ex-players. And you want to know why, Tom? Because the ex-players have a mm-hmm. lot more interesting things to say when, you know, what they're going to do in their next at bat is not on their mind. Yep. Right? Yep. They've got a lot less image to worry about. They're they're definitely they're they're really honest, like unbelievably honest. Yes. And that, that's the thing that strikes me week after week. So, um, I'd love to get more of a chance to talk to some current Jays. So, uh, all of our OTP insiders, anybody listening to the podcast, give a shout to Rogers. You know, well, not even better, even better than that. This has worked yeah. in the past. Send out a tweet to one of the newer Blue Jays and say you want to hear there them on go. the show. And then what happens, and that's how we initially developed a relationship uh, with Matt Shoemaker, who's going to join us. And yes, he's an XJ now, but he's yep. going to join us in the next couple of weeks. But when he joined the Blue Jays, a bunch of people went on Twitter and said, we'd like to see you on the show. Uh, that's how we got Josh Donaldson on the show for the first time, because I you know, wasn't with the team anymore, and he wasn't with the Jays anymore. And a few people wrote it, and he said, yeah, sure, let's do it. So never, never doubt the uh, power of social media. Because you never know what could happen. There we go. Okay. So. All right. All right. Huh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> um, and now, uh, before we get to our conversation with Latroy Hawkins, um, we're going to hear a little bit of music. And you know who the little bit of music is from, Thomas Forth? Who's this by? This is by you. <gasps> oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope everybody likes it. Yeah. I, well, I can't see why they would not like it. Uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, this cool song we're hearing right now. Thanks so much. Yeah, th- this song is called Missed Steps, and uh, I released it approximately a year ago. Um, it was my first ever foray into, I guess, songwriting, produ- producing, and, and just coming up with the whole thing just on my own. And, uh, you know, it was sort of the first step in a journey that you know, I've got, like, a whole bunch of songs now if people want to check me out on on spotify on itunes it's under tom forth not thomas forth but you know they're all in a pretty similar vein it's it's acoustic guitar relatively mellow these are tunes you know initially it started with me writing songs about how i got better from my illness and uh and you know a lot of that had to do with nice long walks in the forest and so i tried to come up with guitar stuff that kind of matched that matched that mood and it started there and it's gone to some crazy places in the last year so i I hope i hope everybody likes it i tell you what i love it it's very fitting for what we're about to hear now there's tom i'm barry and you're listening to out of the park well joining us from his home in texas tom we get a lot of guests from texas i don't know why but we have a lot of people from Texas, including our guest, LaTroy Hawkins, who comes not only looking fancy as always, but you got this cool backdrop going. Like you're, you're what, you're now a Zoom expert. You, you know how to do the backdrop and everything. I don't know, but you got to check out my numbers. That's that, that Blue Jay type of logo. I know, I know. Yeah. So what's the story behind that is like you were only with the Blue Jays a short time. Was that like a huge impact for you? 
Uh, I definitely enjoyed my time there. Uh, it was one of those situations where, um, you know, it was my last year I wanted to go out with a bang and being traded to Toronto in July of 2015 was, it was just the icing on top for me. And I enjoyed every day I spent in, in Canada. You realize you're probably the last Blue Jay to wear number 32. No one will wear that again because of Roy, Hall Roy Halladay. Oh, sorry. Brain fart. Yeah. Yeah, correct. May you rest in peace. Yeah. And listen, speaking of that, uh, before we go any further, um, I was going to talk about how exciting it was for you to have your name on the Hall of Fame ballot and have uh, a couple people vote for you. But one of those who was a huge supporter of yours, uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met in the industry, uh, Pedro Gomez, passed away last week. And no. it's I'm still numb. Uh, I know, Tom, you've never had a chance to meet Pedro, but uh, he he was just such a, a, a terrific human being. Um, I know this is hard. Um, is there anything that you want to share uh, with what a tremendous human being he was, man? I mean, we all know, you know, what type of person he was. He kept in contact with everybody, man. He made the world so small. Like, you know, after, you know, Sunday, that tragic day, you know, everything – Everybody said about him, well, I just talked to him last week. Well, I just talked to him uh, two days ago. I talked to him uh, two weeks ago. Like, he kept in contact with all his close friends. And, you know, that last message, we, the last, our last text thread was talking. I just wanted to tell him how much I appreciated him. And, you know, I met Pedro in 2000, 2004, my first spring training in Arizona. And he's good friends with Bobby Nightingale. And me and Bobby are close. And, you know, it just – form this relationship you know a lot of times players don't have relationships with uh people in the media but you know Bobby and 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 Pedro were my first two friends in the media and you know I was walking out of the Super Bowl when I got the call and I was with my wife and I just started I just broke down and said what the hell is wrong with you and I was like I'm like I got two votes and one of those dudes that voted for me is not long is no longer here with us and that was just it was it was so shocking, man, but he was an incredible human being. We were supposed to meet sometime in the next month in spring training because his son's with the Red Sox, and I'm down in Fort Myers with the Twins. Um, but, you know, just, you know, sending prayers to his, his wife and his kids, man. That's, that's all we can do and, and continue to, to, you know, contribute to his legacy. It's, it's beautiful you speak about his legacy and and Barry, you're right. I mean, I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him, um, but you know, it, it seems that everything I'm reading about him, it, it's all about how he connected people and how he accepted people. And you know, when looking at his legacy, do you think there's a path forward, like with journalism being what it is right now, being as divisive? Did he teach us something that we have to learn right now? Um, you know, him being a, a, a uh, his parents coming from Cuba, how they got here, how hard he worked. Um, yeah, he, he, we can learn a lot from that. Hard work pays off, man. He he did he he worked. Um, man, you know his knowledge of the game was just so so advanced, and you know, you know the the stances that he took. You know, I was reading last night that he wrote that article about Schilling. You know, back in the day when nobody else would stand up and say anything and everybody knew how he was. And Pedro stood up to it, you know, just, 
you know, and, and I think I read where somebody asked him why did he write that 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 uh, article, and he said something along the lines that, you know, you can live with yourself when you're telling the truth. When you're writing the truth, the truth is what the truth is, and that right there just te- that talks about his character and his integrity, and he was he was very good at his job, very good, and he can a lot of kids. Uh, down in Miami and across the country and across the world can can look at his story and say, you know what, I can become, you know, a Pedro Gomez. You know, you mentioned the word integrity. And Pedro could have very easily just told people, yeah, I voted for Latroy because Latroy's a great guy. I know him. He's in a friend. But he didn't because he has integrity. And he he had reasons. He had reasons, baseball reasons why he posted his vote for you. Did he make that clear? Did you ever have a chance to talk to him and say, you know, Pedro, wh- why me? Why'd you vote for me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we had that conversation. You know, he called me when the when the ballot came out. We talked about it. And he told me, I'm going to vote for you. Um, not enough guys with your, you know, with what you've done in the game, get recognition for what you did, what you accomplished what you brought to the game. And he always always talked about number. His biggest thing was, one sec, let me check it out there, one sec, so I don't get it wrong. Mm-hmm. He talked about check rule number five, integrity, sportsmanship, and character. That's what he said. Integrity, sportsmanship, and character. And that's number five on the list, and he sent it to me. Wow. And you know, we think about that, and I just I just think about the last text message I sent him, and he had this thing. I've been in baseball a long time. He was in baseball a long time also, but I think maybe two or three. What, the year his his son got drafted, he called me. He was excited, and then the next spring training, his son got a chance to go over to the, excuse me, to the big league side to pitch in the game. He's like, Troy, my son's going over to pitch in the big. He's um, He's wall jumping. What? What are you talking about, PG? He's wall jumping. He's jumping the wall. I'm like, what does that mean? He said, like, you mean you've been in the game all this time, Detroit? You don't know what that is? I've never heard that. I've heard a lot of things. He's coming from the minor league side, going to the big league side. So every time we talk, we talk about wall jumping. It was just a thing. He thought it was so funny. It was more funny to him that I didn't know what it was than it was to me. Like, he's wall jumping. I'm like, okay, cool. So he was talking about Dante getting a chance to over and pitching some big league games again and all that stuff. So may he rest in peace. Um, tragic. That was tragic. That was tragic, man. Mm. And we lost another. We lost uh, Therese Calvin from Kansas City, from Yahoo Sports, who covered the Kansas City Chiefs. Wow. Uh, he Tuesday unexpectedly at 36, 37 years old. We spoke to him a lot. And he was, you know, he was locked in on, on Patrick. And I got the chance to know him since 2017, and you know, just getting the news that he had passed away also is uh, it's been a it's been a tough week, man, a very tough week. Well, it's been a, it's been a tough year, and Tom and I have spoken about this a lot. And you know, COVID has been such a, a a killer, but it's not just the people that are getting COVID and getting sick from COVID. It's everything around COVID. Uh, I, I I don't know the circumstances behind you know, what happened with Pedro or what happened with, with that, uh, the other writer you were speaking of. But so many of us are struggling with our mental health. So many of us are struggling financially. I mean, man, 
you know, you and I, we're not young, we're not young spring chickens, Latroy. We've been around this world a long time. I'm 53. I never seen anything comparable to what this world is going through right now. And we're talking COVID. We're talking the 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 the, the issues with with racism that are still going on, the issues with homophobia that are going on, the, the hate that is going on in the world. There's just so much of this stuff. And, I mean, I've seen things, but it just seems to have it all at one time. It's it's just been a – it's been hard to stay positive in the world right now. Yeah, and, and, and you said it right, Barry. It is definitely hard to stay positive. But, you know, all those things you, you mentioned have been around a very long time except for COVID. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Racism, the hate. Um, inequality, uh, systematic racism, that, that stuff has been on forever. And I think now, when back in the summer, when I was talking to our employees with the twins, we talk about um, how that it has been around a long time, but we're starting to move the needle in the right direction because people that look like you are tired of it also. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was okay when, when, People of color were, you know, tired of it and, you know, protesting and not getting anywhere. But when people started to look like the people that's doing the oppression, get tired. That's when the when the needle starts to move in the right direction. And I like to say, like, my daughter's 19 and that generation, you saw a lot of those young men and women out there mm-hmm. of all colors, all colors, from all backgrounds of life, you know, protesting, you know, how we've been treated, how people have been treated, you know, throughout history. And to say that, that's, I mean, that means a lot because our generation probably won't get it done. But there's one thing we know, we can say what we want about the generation, my daughter's generation, but, you know, well, they play video games, they're this, they're that, they're super, no, no, no. But they're tough when it comes to standing up for what they believe in. They're a lot tougher than the generation that came before them. It, it's funny that you mentioned that. Obviously, um, you know, the, the journey that my kids are going through is, is going to be vastly dur- uh, different than, than the journey that your children would be going through. But, you know, I have an autistic son. And talking about this younger generation as their ability to just accept people for who they are and to not worry about those unimportant things like race, like sexual preference, like, you know, and, 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 and that does, you know, give me hope. And, and I love hearing you saying that through COVID, you know, that we are moving the needle in the right direction. Um, is there anything in particular that you've been doing? Because you've, you've been an advocate for, for social change and social justice for so long. Um, what have you been spending your time on during COVID? Um, you know, that's, that's a tough question because when it first started, I was in Arizona, then I came home and, you know, I was worried about my daughter. She stayed in California after they had to leave school. And she was locked in on the on the protesting and the marching, and she was locked in on it. 18, 19 at the time, well, she's still 19, wasn't that long ago. She was so locked in, and and when it happened, a lot of that stuff, you know, our organization, the Twins, Minnesota Twins organization, we did a, a phenomenal job, and you know, and and getting right out in the forefront with our employees and letting them know that you know, our organizations care, care about stuff like this, and we're going to do all we can to help continue to move that, that needle. So I've been doing a lot in our organization, just with, um, uh, diversity, inclusion, and just, you know, even with our team, just being a, a, a ear 
a person that can listen, a person that, you know, my, my buddies, my friends that they can come talk to, especially my friends of, you know, that are Caucasian, they can come and talk to him, ask me questions and try to get a better understanding. So for me, I think I've been a good sounding board and giving out some really good information um, be with my friends that I actually trust, trust that, you know, I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And so that's what I've been doing. Just doing a lot of educating on, on issues in our country that a lot of people don't have to deal with. And, you know, our, you know, my culture has to deal with it. But my biggest issue is with people when they say, well, America gave you all this, you have this, you have that, you have money, you have this. And I have to remind people, I'm one person in my family. <laughs> I'm one person in my family. My brother just got out of jail doing 24 and a half years. 24 and a half years. Wow. 24 and a half years. And okay. think about, so my, I always tell people, everybody's um, plight in the United States isn't the same. It's not. My brother was part of the mass incarceration of African-American men in the mid-90s. Little BS charges trumped up and throwing a book at, at black men, and they wonder why there's an issue with black men not being in the in the homes helping raising the kids because you locked them on most of them away. Well, how did you get out of it? I was lucky. Everybody doesn't get lucky. I can't say I was the greatest kid. I did a whole lot of things. I did a whole lot of things that I could have easily went the other way. Well, your daughter did. I said. I said, the thing is, you don't understand, people who are in a position to speak up, they speak up. And a lot of times it's not to benefit themselves, it's to benefit the people who can't, who have been speaking and hadn't been heard. So once again, it's for the people that don't have a voice. And there are millions and millions of people of all races in the United States that feel like they don't have a voice and around the, around the world. You just don't have to be black. There are plenty of people in this world that don't have a voice. And when you have a platform, when you have a platform, you should use it. If you're not helping others or making an impact on, you know, on other people's lives, you're wasting your time on earth. Who said that? Roberto Clemente. Mm -hmm. Roberto or Jackie, one of my favorites. One of them said it. So you're wasting your time. You have to make an impact on people. And if that's helping them, you know, understanding their struggles and helping voice their opinions, and let them be heard or using you as a vessel to be heard. And I think we all got a responsibility to do that. You know, Latroy, a lot of the racism that's out there is, is based on, on hatred, but there's also a lot of it based on ignorance. And this is yeah. black history month. And to me, black history month is not something for African Americans to focus on. It's for the world to focus on. And I know school in, in, in Canada is different than school in the United States, but we learned a lot about world history. We learned a lot about the world wars. We learned, but we learned nothing about black history. And I think if, if we can start educating everybody, not just African-Americans to be aware of black history, but all of us to learn about black history, those that are making decisions on ignorance might have a little more substance to base their their thoughts on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's such a slippery slope, man. Because I I try to explain it another way. I try to explain it. I say like people in America 
and not African-American, 47 generation head start on everything in this country. Think about that. Mm. 47 generation head start. Somebody said to me, other 47 generation. And they was like, that's 47 lifetimes. I'm like, yeah, that's the head start they've had on African-Americans in this country. Excuse me, guys. And people don't understand, like, that's, you're talking about the, the old saying of being behind the eight ball? You're not even on the table. Mm -hmm. And for you to think that that people of color can make up that ground in 50 years, it hadn't been that long since we've been able to vote. That's shocking. Yeah, my grandfather passed away May the 8th last year. He was 94 years old. He came to the Midwest from Mississippi when he was 16 years old. When he was 15, he enlisted in the military when he was 16 years old. He changed his birth, birth certificate so he can get out of the South wow. and somewhere where he can be. He doesn't have to be that nigger boy, as he was called when he was in Mississippi. He did four years in the military. He got out. They lost every record of his platoon ever even serving their country. Only his platoon, all black platoon. Then he had to go back another two years just to be able to get the, <laughs> so he can get benefits. Wow. Go back. So he spent six years, but the first four years, it didn't even count. It didn't even count. And he come back to the United States, couldn't get a loan to get a house, couldn't get anything, being spit on, all those t- stories. So when people say you're, uh, you're not patriotic, remember, the national anthem means a lot to certain people. It means absolutely nothing to others because those words that we hang on to so tightly don't apply to everybody. And that's the part that people don't understand. The land of the free, the brave, and the, that's, that, that is, yes, we're not walking around in slave no more, slavery no more. We're not getting whipped with chains. We're getting shot in the streets, systematic racism, horseshit education in the inner city, red line where all the black people get the worst land, can't get loans. It's, it's still there. People have to understand, like, just because it's not, it's not in a, a, a barbaric manner, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah, the 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 taking away of that barbarism of the direct violence, though, um, you know, does it seem as if it's made it actually a much more difficult and insidious problem to fight? Because it's gone from being in in your face and 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 something that was right there, and and you know, it's easy to point at a violent injustice, but that systematic, you know, that redrawing of, of maps. You know, I, I, I always remember uh, visiting the states and driving through cities like, uh, you know, St. Louis was the one in particular where I, I saw all these um, streets and houses on, off the highway, but on my map, they weren't there. And we, we don't have that, anything like that in Canada where they're, you know, the lower income neighborhoods, they, they're taken off the, the, the Pearlies maps in the US in some areas. And you know so so when it becomes covert like that is it is it harder to fight is it a longer fight um and and yeah <laughs> I think it's a longer fight because you have people in charge who have been in charge for a very long time and they inherited that job from somebody that that was there a very long time with the same mentality or keep people segregated but the funny thing is like you know, like my grandfather was, I can't say he was so traumatized, but he was so, um, he had this 
this thing about him that he didn't want to be around white people because they had treated him so bad when he was younger. And they treated him so bad when he was in, in the military. Like he didn't want to be, he was, he was fine being around his people. And I talked to him years and years about that. And he always said, son, you have no clue what I've been through. And I said, well, everybody's not the same. He said, you're right. But I ain't got time to be picking through who the good and who the bad. <laughs> he would tell me that. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I can't debate your feelings, granddad, because you went through something that I never had to go through. So, but he, he wasn't bitter about it. He just didn't want to deal with it. He just felt like I'm just going to stay in my area, my little, my little room, my little spot in my little house in Gary, Indiana. And I'm not going to worry about all that other stuff. He wouldn't, he did not worry about, nope. He didn't want to leave, you know, coming to visit was a problem. He was like, no, because you just never know. You don't understand what we went through growing up in Mississippi and what I went through in the military and what I went through early in my life that I had to navigate things in a whole different manner than you have to navigate right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you walk around like you don't have a care in the world. We couldn't walk around like that. I said, well, that's, that shows that the changes happened. He said, yeah, son, but you never forget. You never forget as much as you try you will never forget how you were treated. Is that kind of, you know, do you get that feeling whenever you'd walk into a clubhouse or whenever you'd step on a field, you know, you would think about Jackie Robinson. You would think about Hank Aaron. You'd think about the players that really made that possible for you to be able to step mm -hmm. on a field, walk in a clubhouse and not be judged because of the color of your skin. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all, but when you compare it to what Jackie had to go through and even what Hank had to go through, um, guys like that, you know, just made it that much more feasible for, for you and, and, and other African-American players to, to be able to be accepted in clubhouses and fields. Yeah, Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby. You know, a lot yeah. of people forget about Larry Doby. Yeah. He was the first African-American to play in the American League. And you know what? They did. They paved the way, you know, what Jackie went through to he set the bar and, you know, my generation think we could have went through that? Hey, heavens no. We're raised completely different, in, well, in different times. But, you know, for me, I was a black pitcher a lot, of, only black pitcher a lot of times. And I just never, like, when people say, well, how was your experience in baseball and this with racism? And I, I in the minor leagues, I remember being called an N-word one time in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, and I was in the car with my buddy, Matt Lawton, and he said, and before I could think about it, man, I had spat at the girl. She was driving in the car and I couldn't get to her, but I just felt like I needed to spit. I mean, I couldn't, she was ass. And he was like, what's wrong with you, man? You ain't never been calling in with her before? He's from Mississippi and I'm from <laughs> Indiana, right outside Chicago. So it's a big difference. Yeah. Even so I'm like, no, I hadn't. And that really resonated with me. And then once I got to Chicago with the Cubs, after I left Minnesota, that's when I saw the true racism in our country. Uh, being in Minnesota, never experienced it. When I got to Chicago and Dusty Baker was my manager and some of the things that people wrote us, I'll never forget sitting in my locker, opening up a piece of mail and it just called me every word, but the name my mother named me, wow. Latroy Hart. And Dusty was like, come here, man. He was like, come in my office. And I went in his office and he had this big old box. He got just a box. It didn't even look like it, it was like a box like from Amazon or something. It didn't belong <laughs> in his office. 
it, it was full of hate mail. Oh my God. Full of hate mail. And I'm like, whoa, I'll be damned, Dusty. He's like, man, I'm from California. I've been all over this world and all over this country. He's like, that shit don't bother me. Those people, they're writing it on a piece of paper for a reason. That's how they feel. Uh, can we change them? Probably. Will we change them? Probably not. He said, don't let that affect you. And I remember I kept that letter. I kept that letter until I retired. Then I finally got rid of it. But just the hatred that you that I that I felt reading that letter. And after that, the Cubs opened my mail for me. <laughs> they wouldn't let me open my own mail because of the, the hate mail that, that was coming in. And all over a baseball game. Wow. How about over a baseball game? But you know what? It made me stronger. Um, it made me appreciate where I was uh, mentally because a younger Latroy Hawkins probably would have, you know, it would have been different. But, you know, and, and I had, when I tell you, I had some great teammates at the time. I had Kerry Woods, uh, Farnsworth, Kyle Farnsworth, Mark Pryor, Gruzelanik. And I let all those guys read what those people were sending me because, you know, it's one thing to have an effect on me because that's what it, it, it's, it's, uh, it was mailed to. But when you start letting your friends of different races read that stuff and, and how it impacts them. Yeah. I'll never forget that. That was, it was wild, man. It, it was wild. And I was like, Whoa, I'm like, this is how people really feel. And this, and you know, I tell you, it did hurt. You know what hurt? I grew up 30 miles from Chicago. 30 miles from Chicago in a completely different world. Had no clue it was like that. And every letter came from somewhere in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. Every letter came from somewhere in Chicago. I grew up 30. Wow. Talk, talking about, you know, just combating that, that sort of hate. And, you know, you, you use words like anger and you talk about spitting. And, but, you know, you've you got two Hall of Fame votes for a reason, and, and that reason was the, the positive impact, impact that you made on, on the communities, um, on, on your teammates, on the game in general. So was, was there a switch for you where, you know, combated with all that hate, you went, okay, you know what, I'm just going to make the world a little bit better. Like, did it, did it force you to, to becoming the advocate that you were? No, I already had that in me, Tom. Um, my grandmother, my mom's mom, Leslie Lee Cannon, she was she grew up in Mississippi, same uh, place my grandfather was from, and she had seen a lot growing up, and she was completely opposite of my grandfather. She was, man, she was outgoing. Um, she didn't care what color you were. I mean, I'll never forget, man, this story, and I tell it, and I, I always wanted, I said I was going to start a foundation called Grandmama's grandma's refrigerator because <laughs> I owned visiting in 1999 and I came in the kitchen and my grandmother was in the kitchen and she was cooking and she was sitting with her back to the door and her back to the refrigerator and I'm sitting in front of her and we talking, having fun. And I see this little white kid come in the back door, didn't knock, go in the refrigerator, get something, go back out, didn't say hi, bye, Hey, Miss Cannon, and I back out. And I'm looking with this perplexed look on my face, bro. I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> we're predominantly, it's a predominantly black city. And my grandmother didn't even, she didn't even bat an eye. She was just like, remember this young man. 
I don't care how big you get. Everybody needs help every now and then. And then she wanted to tell me that their gas and light was off. Their house was across the alley, which was like 40 yards, no, about 30 yards away. And, you know, they were running a, a, a extension cord to the house, but their refrigerator was broke. So they had to use the refrigerator. And she's like, don't you ever forget. I don't care how big you get. At some point, everybody needs some help. And don't, and don't be the one not to give them help. And I'm like, okay, grandma. Okay, so what's the little boy name? <laughs> <laughs> I got that very early, Tom. I got that early. And, you know, just, I always, I always just wanted to make an impact. Even my teammates, like I always went, I didn't care where, I didn't care where you were from. I knew I grew up different from a whole lot of people. And I wanted to know how you grew up. I wanted to get to know my teammates and get to know people not just on a surface level. I wanted to get, you know, I wanted some substance, you know, so from our conversations, I wanted to get to know my teammates. And I think that's why I was well-respected because I didn't treat anybody differently. I treated everybody with the same respect, the same respect. And that's all I asked in return. Treat me with respect and I'm going to treat you with respect. And it's all about how you carry yourself. You can't be acting, asking for respect if you're out there doing dumb things, you yeah. know? So I had to, you know, practice what I preached and guys saw that. And I got that mutual respect from Latin guys, black guys, white guys. I don't care who you were. I got that respect and I gave that type of respect. You know, but I got to know my teammates too. I didn't just go out to dinner with the guys that look like me, man. That's so boring. <laughs> that is so boring. I went to dinner with everybody. Yeah, I've been the only guy at the table that didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so what? I went because... I wanted to know their culture. I want to know where they were from. I've always had Latin roommates coming through the minor leagues. And I just, I did that because I saw how unfair they were treated. I mean, when they getting treated worse than they treat, you know, black guys or people of color were treated, I thought that was a problem. So I was always there, always their voice. And I was always, I always tried to protect them from certain situations. And it was just, it was just something I naturally did. When I saw it, I recognized it. And I'm like, okay, let me try to, let me try to, you know, combat this in a, in a, in a, in the right way. Latroy, when you get traded to a new team, like you did with the Blue Jays, you get into that clubhouse for the first time. And I'm sure that there were a lot of players that you knew. I mean, you, you obviously knew Troy Tulowitzki quite well. However, there are probably a lot of guys in that clubhouse that you knew of, or you may have known of their reputations but did you go in there and say, well, before I say, well, this guy, I hear this guy's an a-hole, I want to get to know him and find out for myself. Like, did you do a lot of observing the first week or so in that clubhouse to try to get to know who these people really were as opposed to what you may have heard about them? Yeah, Barry, it's one thing. Like, I, you know, that was my last year. That was year season 21. Yeah. Nothing anybody can tell me about somebody that I'm going to believe. Now, 10 people tell me the same thing. That's different. Yeah. But I like to get in there and get to know my teammates myself. Get to understand them, why they think the way they think. You know, what makes them tick. You know, I went in, I didn't know Batista. I didn't know Encarnacion. But I had played against those guys. And we always had a mutual respect, even though we probably never spoke on the field. But there still was a mutual, you know, athlete respect. Always. Um, you know, we had, who was the... We designated him for assignment from Miami, played with the Twins. We traded him to Oakland that year. Oh. Um, 
Oh, uh, no, Danny Valencia. Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, now Valencia. he's now he's a guy that is very misunderstood, or maybe he because we've had a lot of players on this show, and some huh. of them have actually on the record said not a big fan of the guy. And then others yeah, say, he's a different character. right, he's different. He's not for everybody. He's not everybody's cup of tea, yeah. as they say, right? Oh, yeah. And that's understandable. Like, people understand, like, everybody's not going to like you. And yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Because sometimes people have their own hangups. But, yeah, Danny Valencia. You know, I heard a lot of things about Danny. But it's one of those things, like, how we treated, how he treated me. You know, we had that, you know, and I didn't come off of, I didn't come off as a guy that, you know, I was taking bullshit. You know, I was like, no, I'm, you know, I got way too much substance to allow you to give me BS. So then Danny was fine. We were fine. Um, I knew a lot of people that knew Danny and some had good things to say about him. Some had bad things to say about him. But at the end of the day, you know, I had to get to know him myself. And the only thing is he wasn't there long enough, but I saw some stuff. He loved, he was loud. He loved to talk trash, which is fine with me because I think every team needs a guy like that because he <laughs> pushed a lot of buttons. Latroy, you also, you kind of took Roberto Osuna under your wing for a while. And there was a guy that, you know, again, we, we don't know all the facts, but we know what's been reported. Were you, how hurt were you to see that happen? Because I, like you, probably saw that there was a decent kid inside there too. And when I heard what happened, I, I was really, really shocked and really disappointed because that wasn't the kid that I got to know. Yeah, um, you're right, Roberto. He sat Roberto and I next to each yeah. other. And I got to Toronto, and he was the youngest kid in the league, and I was the oldest guy in the league. So that was that was a story in itself. Um, man, I was disappointed to hear it. Um, I also actually had a chance to speak to him about it. Um my wife and I do a lot of work with domestic violence survivors and then all, they're not all women. There's some men involved in that also mm -hmm. that are, you know, survivors of domestic violence. Um, it's tough, man. You know, I, I'm a prime believer. You can't, you can't completely judge somebody about one moment in their life. Um, I know people are going to like, well, what, what do you mean? He hit a woman, he did this, this happened, this happened. Um, you know, it's just a tough subject because, you know, you can have a moment and one moment can ruin your life. And that happens all the time. And, and we also don't know all the facts, right? I mean, we only right. know what's know been reported. Facts. You don't know all the facts, but in 20, when was that? That happened in 2018, right? Yeah. 2018, you don't need to know all the facts anymore. You're guilty until you're proven innocent. There's no other way around where you're innocent until you're proven guilty. No, you're guilty out, out the gate. You're guilty. So you don't get that benefit of the doubt that, that you know, of the, of the law. You don't get that. And, you know, him and I talked about it. Um, you know, he's very remorseful for what happened. Whatever happened, he's very remorseful because it definitely brought up a negative light on him, his, his last name, the organization in the city of Toronto and that young lady's family. Um, you know, do I think somebody can come, come back from that? Yes. I mean, what he's doing now um, and what he's done since that point, since that night, I think ships uh, says a lot about your character. You know, you're, you're, you're getting the help that you need. You're, you're, you're doing things to impact 
having a positive impact on the city that you're in, wherever you're from. You know, he's doing the right things to to um, to help himself become a better person. You know, when we see the sort of the rabid cancel culture that's out there right now, where you know that you you hit the nail on the head. One thing, one moment um, with the Osuna uh, instance, like you know, we don't know if anybody was hit or right. We know that there was a, a like a, a complaint, but we, because of Canadian justice, like we don't know any of the specifics, but um, you know, the cancel culture that is going on with, with incidents like this, you know, does it make it harder for advocacy? Like when you just remove, like once someone makes a mistake, that's it. And, and they're done, they're canceled. You know, do we then get to a point where, you know, people are just afraid to live their lives because of that one foot out of bounds? Or well, none of us are perfect, point. right? Nobody on yeah, this earth is living are. a perfect life except up Nobody. there, right? You know? But I think is social media, the Internet, Internet was like the greatest thing that happened to mankind. It allows this to happen. The worst thing that's ever happened to mankind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, man. So, you know, that cancel culture, I mean, I I don't know, man. I just think too many people have an opinion. I think that. But it, on the flip side of that, I think everybody should have an opinion. You know, everybody should have a voice. But when you start, when there's nothing a person can do to right their wrong, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right at all. When you can't, when there's no coming back from something that you did, especially when it's something minor, something minor, or you misspoke or something like that, you can't come back from that. That That's not, I mean, I don't think that's what council culture um, had had envisioned when it, when it happened. Like you just, you know, completely just take this person's ability to earn an income completely off the map. Like that's not, I don't, I don't. And I, and I think with, even with people who say stupid stuff, like, you know, racist stuff and, and all that bigots and, and the homophobic stuff. I, I just think like there is a road to redemption. And I think people need to understand that that is a road to re redemption. That's like, you know, what do you do after that? What do you do after that? Where are you going? Are you going to stay the same or are you going to make yourself better? And you're going to try to understand the other side. And then how are you going to make, what 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 adjustments are you going to make in your life so you don't do that again? And how are you going to impact other people in a positive manner? Yeah. Well, thank God uh, the majority of Americans got it right on that last vote. And hopefully we can start to move forward to a happier uh, world <laughs> that we're living in. And we've talked serious for quite a while, LaTroy. I want to try to lighten the mood a bit. And we have invited three lucky fans of yours to join us here in the Zoom. And lo and behold, they're all wonderful women. I don't know what it is, LaTroy. You attract the women to our show, but we're going to bring in Fiona, Jody, and Susan into the conversation, and we're going to allow them to, to ask questions. This is, you know what, LaTroy? You can't do this anywhere else in, in, uh, in social media. No one else is doing <laughs> No one else is allowing their fans to come on the show. So uh, this is our little thing that we like to do. So uh, we are slowly getting everybody. This is my technology, my, my old man slow technology thing. So uh, we'll have uh, right now. Jody's there. So Jody, say I like your sweatshirt. It's very similar to mine. There's Jody. Susan. 
And Hi, Susan. And momentarily, we will have Fiona up here as well. And Fiona has to be very young. No, of course she's like really? eighteen. Fiona? She's eighteen. I'm just going by the name. Looks, by the name. Fiona, she, you're eighteen, she looks right? Like she's creeping in at about twenty, oh, right? Yeah. yeah, definitely eighteen. Yeah. There you go. So, um, you know, this is awesome. We get to have you know one of our things to invite some of our lucky uh, listeners to come in, and these are our out of the park insiders, and uh, they've all been listening, they've all been watching, and. Um, we're going to open up the floor. If any of you have questions, uh, you know, we'll kind of go in order. We'll, Jody, you're, you're there beside LaTroy in the screen. So do, is there anything you'd like to say and ask LaTroy? Um, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to say, um, um, sticking with the serious side, actually, listening to you this morning um, brought mm -hmm. to my eyes. Um, the story you're... Uh, telling about the the hate mail that came to you in the clubhouse and then taking it into Dusty's office and and him showing you that box it chokes me up again um it is an unfortunate thing that any of us have to live in a world where where somebody has a box put all all their nasty things into so um listening to you speak about um how you give everyone a chance and you don't judge, maybe maybe 10 people's opinions might change your opinion, but one doesn't. And I wish that more of us could do that because um, it would just be a better place. Yeah, that's true, Jody. It definitely would be a better place. But, you know, you're getting choked up. You know why you're getting choked up? Because you care. Because I, I care. Because you, you care. And not, and not enough people care. That's the thing. Not enough people care. Amen. <laughs> Fiona, Susan, either one of you would like to ask. And, and Jody, if you have a question, we can bring you back in too. Um, but For sure. Fiona or uh, Susan, do either of you guys have a question you want to ask LaTroy? Okay. Uh, LaTroy, thank you for doing this. I was very touched by all your stories as well. And yeah, I, I got a bit emotional too listening to you. But trying to lighten it up a bit, a couple of things. What was your your favorite thing to do while you were playing in Toronto, you know, was it um, favorite restaurant or going for a walk by the lake or going to shows? And the other thing I read somewhere about, you had a fan club that followed you around. And that was really interesting to read about. And I'm sure that was a happy time in your life. Maybe could you enlighten us a bit about that? Okay, so we're, we're hi Susan, how you doing? We'll talk about the fan club first. So okay. I went to some of my fan club members yesterday. Oh, good. In Larry Camp. And it'd be the first time they hadn't come to see me in spring training in 20 years. Wow. Pandemic. So they followed me everywhere, every year, wherever LaTroy was, there was a, a representative of LaTroy Hawkins fan club. And that, that fan club started in 2001. It was a rainy night, one night after the game at the Metrodome in Minneapolis. And all the players came out. Nobody was signed. And I, I stopped and signed in the rain. Yeah. Came this, this situation where I would stop and sign every night for that same group. And uh, Eric England, uh, the fan club president, he decided to start the LHFC, Latroy Hawkins Fan Club. And it grew to like 900 people across the country. And they would stand up in the seventh inning. And they had a banner, the Latroy Hawkins Fan Club. They would wave the banner every night on the seventh inning stretch. And it was a core group of probably about 50 
that you know we had a picnic every year. The three the the three years after that, I stayed in Minnesota, and then you know early on it was like twenty to thirty that would come to spring training, and then over the years it's phased out just a little bit. But Larry and Linda Campbell, they've come to every spring training since until this year. They can't come. But it's amazing. It's a great time. I mean, a great. They became. They were just fan club members, and they became family. Um, crazy story. One of the kids in the fan club, Eric Weber, uh, when he was a, a, a junior in college, I let him drive my car to the prom. Right. And his girlfriend. Yeah, and <laughs> so wonderful. Yeah. Right, and they got married. Uh, they just they just had their ten year uh, wedding anniversary, and. <laughs> You know, one of the best men in their wedding. Uh, well, I was a groomsman, but the best man got sick, so I had to stand. I had to, to do the speech <laughs> at reception. Uh, Eric and I are business partners now. Um, wow. Minneapolis. Um, you know, I was just there two weeks ago, and I stayed at his house with him and Hannah and the kiddos. So I, I, you know, they they were just fan club members, and now they become family over the years, and it's it's been um it's been a crazy ride. Just. When people hear that story, they just shake their head. And, you know, a lot of people in the fan club, they never had that connection with another player since mm-hmm. the And, you know, I guess I made it, I was, I made it so <clears throat> easy for them. But when I was in Toronto, Susan, it was tough to go anywhere because we were winning and it was, man, it was a lot of people downtown and it was, it was overwhelming. It was fun, but we didn't go many places because like we played almost every day. We didn't mm-hmm. have to get food. We had food at the ballpark, you know, lunch and dinner after the game. So we really didn't get, didn't get a chance to, to get a, um, a specific place or a favorite place I would like to eat at. I did like the pizza. Um, mm-hmm. I got, what's the name of the pizza place? It's right by the stadium. Pizziola. A big, what is it? Pizziola or is it? Was, no, no. Susan, you live right near the stadium. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I'm getting old. Yeah, it's, it's one of those pizza places. I did like the pizza, yeah. but I didn't get a chance to go out much. Like after the games, it was so many people every night that we had. Like I live right across the street on First Street, First Street, right upstairs from the Starbucks. So I would, man, I would get out the stadium and I would hurry up and get home because it was so overwhelming every night after the game. People didn't go home. It was, man, it was, and they, and they knew who we were. So to the, walking to my, you know, house, I mean, my apartment, you know, it was, it was, it was fun, but it was, it was, it was rough, but it was fun. It's funny because I parked underneath, underneath the dome. So by the time I'd be finished my work and I'd be pulling out and I was driving like a, a Honda Accord, you know, nice car. And as I'd be coming up the ramp, I'd see all the fans there, and they'd be like, ah, ah, and then I'd roll down my window, and they'd be like, ah. it's only, <laughs> so it's only on Barry. <laughs> going out of that side, I didn't go out that side, Barry. I came out of the side where the, um, what's the, I forgot. My Front name. Street, more that side of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would go down those stairs, but we would have to go through the kitchen of the hotel that's connected to the stadium. And fans knew that we were coming out there. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> and then they'd be waiting on the platform waiting for us. So it was it was tough trying to get home at night, but it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it was never a problem. But then we got those scooters. Oh yeah. <laughs> we would go out different doors. We would I, go out different doors. I used to see uh 
Reyes riding his right along, you know, outside the dome because his apartment was right across the street, and he'd just be riding it along. You know, it was pretty funny. Um, and well, I want to get into that in, in a bit, too, because of David Price and, and what a wonderful teammate he was. But I know, Fiona, you've been waiting patiently. Uh, would you like to uh, ask a question to LaTroy? Yeah, I would. And first of all, I'd like to say thank you for your honesty. And you spoke very intelligently and eloquently this morning, and it was nice to hear. Um, just wondering when you were having that dream of being an MLB player, was there any team you really dreamed of playing for, and did you get to play for them? Uh, good question, Fiona. How are you doing today? Good? I'm good, yeah. Good. I, um, I had no dreams of playing in Major League Baseball. I'm serious. I was a basketball player coming up, so I had dreams of playing in the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> so why didn't you? When I got, I got drafted out of high school to play baseball, and I'm like, I can go to college and play basketball to go play baseball mm. and make money. I wasn't making money in college. Yeah. You know, my grandfather told me that, um, you know, I was a better baseball player than basketball player, and I told him he was crazy. And lo and behold, he ended up being right. <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't. I didn't have a love for the game. I think when I completely understood that I had an opportunity to um, to be good at pitching. I never had a pitching coach until I got drafted and signed in 1991. Wow. So when I got to Fort Myers, Florida to rookie ball, I was so behind everybody else. I was way behind. I was just this, you know, this kid who could catch and had a good arm and I didn't know anything. And it took me about a year and a half to even get up to speed because I had never seen anybody play baseball like that. I mean, we had a shortstop and he was just okay. And I thought he was, should have been, he should have been in the big leagues already. Um, but I just didn't, I never had that, that dream of playing in the big leagues until probably 1994. I think that's when I was like, you know what? That's when I started to get it. You know, I started to get a breaking ball and things started to click. You know, I had a couple of coaches that invested a lot of time and, you know, okay, this is what we're going to try and you should be able to do this. But before then I didn't have any dream of playing in the major leagues. Wow. Nope. It was all about that $745 I was making every month. <laughs> All right, here's, here's a little trivia question. One of your former teammates in Toronto now is retired and plays in a men's pickup basketball league and has a hoops game that he plays at least a couple times a week. Any guesses who that would be? Because you'll be shocked. I can tell by the look on your face. Russell Martin? No. Nope. R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. Really? We had the R.A. on the show about a year ago, and, and we asked him because, you know, he's such a competitive guy, and we asked him, you know, what are you doing to fill that competitive void in your life? Because that's a hard thing when you are when you retire from the game, right? I mean, you spend your whole life at such a high competitive level, and all of a sudden you don't have it. And he said he had to join a men's basketball league because he wanted to compete. He wanted to be able to show that he can still do it, right? Now, I imagine his free throws had no spin on them, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, kind of amazing when you think about it, though. But I, as someone who played at such a high level, how did you fill that void? Man, I tell you what, I don't have that that need to compete. I don't miss it. That's good. I left everything out on the field. And another thing, I tell people, I did it for so long. Like, you know, when I finally retired, I was exhausted from from you know the grind of playing baseball and getting in shape every year and 
you know, going out there and trying to make 60, 60 plus appearances, I was so mentally drained and physically drained. Um, and I like to say that most of the people that I know that retired, they weren't ready to retire. So they always had this animosity that they held until they was able to let it go uh, towards the game of baseball. I didn't have that animosity because I, I made the choice to retire. I gave the uniform back. They didn't take it from me. I had offers. I could have played in 2016. So leaving that way, I think I was content. I was happy with my decision. And my grandfather told my, my grandfather's pastor would tell me, you know the best time to retire? And I was like, I don't know, Pastor Johnson. He said, when they don't want you to, because they <laughs> want you to retire, it's too late. <laughs> so, you know, I don't have that. I watched the game um, with admiration, with humble understanding, still having to understand how hard it was to play the game. You know, I don't care what position you were at. I still have that in me that how hard it was. So I don't need that comp that competitive stuff. I don't, I don't need that. Now, if you push me, it might can come back out, but just needing it every day. I don't need it. You played for a long time, but wasn't there just a little, like 2015 was a great season for you. Like, just absolutely it's not the season you'd expect from someone in their last season was there not just a tiny little part of you that thought hey let's do this one more time um no when i i made that decision in 2014 but i made it public in january of 2015 i was on mlb network doing an interview with harold reynolds and i told him this would be my last year playing professional baseball good bad and different i don't care how my season went i was done and I had already, but you just don't come to that decision just spur of a moment, Tom. Like that was, that was over the course of a couple of years, you know, just thinking about it and, you know, understanding like I couldn't, I couldn't perform like I wanted to consistently. You know, I was up and down, up and down. And a lot of that was because of, you know, I got to that point where I couldn't recover. You know, I'm a customer, you know, Gibby, you know, I would say, he asked, how you doing? How you feeling today, Latroy? And instead of telling him, I felt like this, you know, two, three days in a row, you know, it was a lot of this. I was like, I'm just okay. You know, and if I pitch today, that means I'm going to be down for two days. And I just didn't feel good, you know, after I, after I pitched. And that's a real sign right there. Now, I, if I wanted to continue and just to take a job and take money and, and, and keep another young man from, you know, you know, fulfilling his dream of playing in the major league. Sure. I could have did that, but that's not what I wanted. And I went out on my own terms. I never wanted to sit in front of a, a GM and a manager and let him tell me, you know what, Latroy, we're going to release you. We're going to go in another direction. We appreciate it. I never want to have that conversation. So that's why I gave the Jersey back. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything you miss about the game? You know what? No, because I'm still part of the game. And I think that helps. Hi, buddy. You can say hey, hi. <laughs> and I think hi. that's why. Because I'm still part of the game. And I've always been part of the game ever since I retired. So I'm still having an impact on <laughs> players and the organization. And that right there scratches my 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 itch. LaTroy, we, we talked briefly about the scooters. Uh, you've had a lot of teammates. I don't know how well you knew David personally before that, but you know what? Week after week, Tom and I have former Blue Jays on this show, and anyone that was part of that team, 
the first thing they say is, wow, David Price, like one of the best teammates I've ever had. And he didn't buy everyone's scooters because he wanted to show off. He bought everyone's scooters because he was that kind of guy, right? Yeah, he was awesome. <clears throat> I didn't know David much before then, but get, having a chance to play with him and seeing, you know, what made him good. Because when you're watching a guy on TV or watching him across the, you know, across the field, it's like, okay, this guy good. But, you know, getting to really know someone and understand what makes them tick and, and watching him go about his routine. And, you know, yeah, he brought us those scooters. But, you know, I was, I was more excited to what he did for uh, Burley and myself. I think we had that last series in Tampa. Well, Baltimore. yeah, Tampa. Well, Baltimore, it was, it was, we went to Tampa probably the series before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he had, me and Burley, you know, we were out there throwing, and they was like, hey, guys, we got a meeting, meeting, you know, right now. I was like, nobody told us we had a meeting. So we go in, and and Price had uh, purchased uh, both of us a uh, a painting that Vernon Wells Sr., Vernon Wells Vernon yeah. Wells' father did. Amazing painter. Accomplished painter. Yep. And he presented us with our own personal paintings that he paid for. Wow. He got us for our retirements because both of us were retiring. He got it for both of us. And that was pretty That was pretty cool to, to have. Yeah. There's one thing to have fans, you know, recognize, you know, what you, your career, but to have a teammate who took it personal and, under, and wanted to do something for his teammates and that – that was special. And I still, I, and I hadn't put it on the wall yet because I had so much other stuff on the wall. But, um, you know, when I build my new house, I'll, it'll be one of the first things that go on the wall. And he had all my teams on there. That's amazing. So I've seen every team on there. I've seen Vernon's uh, dad's work and it's incredible. Actually, he's been on the show before talking about uh, his paintings and they are phenomenal. Latroy, before we wrap up, I'll just go around one more time. Anybody else uh, between the three of you ladies have a question you want to ask Latroy? Are we uh, we all good? We're good. We're good. Latroy, thank you so much. Uh, you've been open and honest and candid with us. Um, we're all thrilled to see your name on that Hall of Fame ballot. And you know what? Hopefully, uh, some of those that are still there voting. Uh, maybe will be influenced by what they saw and the reasons why Pedro voted for you. And we can see that influence. I mean, he may be gone, but hopefully the impact that he left on the world will never be forgotten. And some of these other voters can get off their asses and realize how deserving you are. Uh, I know all of us here in this room right now would vote for you in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Latroy Hawkins. I know it was a very lengthy conversation, but when it came to the editing process, Tom, uh, other than one little point where I actually had to uh, excuse myself and go use the bathroom, <laughs> <laughs> and when our uh, when our OTP insiders see the full video, because they'll be the only ones that see it, they'll they're, I'm not going to cut know. that. I, I'm not going to cut <laughs> that part out. I'm going to leave it there for them to see. So, uh, a nice. big thanks again to Latroy Hawkins, who is just fantastic, and uh, let's hope that uh, some of the other BBWA members out there uh, decide to vote him in because he should be in the Hall of Fame. You know what? He certainly deserves some sort of recognition for the amazing influence he's had on the game in general. And he, he just showed it off in this interview, the wonderful perspectives he has on how to bring people together on, you know, the world would be a much better place if he could get a bigger podium to stand on and talk. Exactly. 
that was more than an interview. That was an in-depth, deep conversation, which is what we do here on Out of the Park. Uh, next week, you'll hear from Josh Tolley, and I have a feeling the mood is going to be a little bit lighter this week. You know, we need to, you know, it's great to take on real serious, tough topics, but every once in a while we need we need a little bit of comic relief. And we had that with Joe Biagini. Um, yes, we did. And I'm sure you're going to see the very humorous side of Josh Tolley as well. Listen, if you want to get in on sitting in on these Zoom conversations, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash out of the park and become an OTP insider where you'll get to watch these full length videos where you will get to uh, also partake in our Zooms. And uh, it also is really the main support that we're getting on this show. Um, so we could use the help. <laughs> Absolutely. Help us out, folks. And and you know what? It gives you access to, in my opinion, one of the most unique experiences in, in sports right now. The ability to sit in with these players in a one-on-one intimate interview. It's not just like a mic in your face and you get your question. Like, it's a conversation that, that our insiders are taking part in every week. And, you know, we've had tears on a few of them. And, you know, these are, these are great conversations. Nobody out there is doing anything this good, in my opinion. So come on aboard, folks. Well, nobody else is smart enough to have you on the show. That's probably what it is, Tom. <laughs> Must be. Yeah, you may want to say goodbye now while we're ending on a high. Tom, have a great one. And to all of you, thank you so much for continuing to make us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.